Welcome to the Physics Buzz Podcast. I'm Calla Cofield. Well, it's official. Yesterday, the call came down from Sweden. The Nobel Prize in Physics has been awarded. The winners are Sergei Harosh and David Weinland for their separate work studying quantum particles. Next week, we'll have a podcast about the science behind the winning work. But today, I actually want to talk about the Nobel Prizes themselves. Each year, for a brief moment in early fall, all eyes are on physics. Every major publication carries the announcement of who won the Nobel Prize in physics. People all over the world take an interest in what are sometimes very obscure physics topics. I mean, can you think of any other physics prize that earns that much attention? Come to think of it, can you think of any other physics prizes? I mean, most people probably can't name another physics prize, but everyone knows what the Nobel Prizes are. This award, when it comes to the sciences, is quite simply in a league of its own. But why is that? What exactly did the Nobel Prizes do to reach this level of popularity, this level of untouchable regard? And is this level of popularity that the Nobel Prize has achieved a good thing? Once again, I'm Callie Cofield, and that's what we'll be talking about today on the Physics Buzz podcast. The Nobel Prize is, without a doubt, the most widely known science prize that has ever existed. It also seems fair to say that it is the most coveted science prize that has ever existed. Basically... There's the Nobel Prize, and then there are all the rest, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That is Dr. Martin Pearl, co-winner of the 1995 Nobel Prize in Physics. Dr. Pearl won for the discovery of a new subatomic particle, the tau lepton. This was work that he did in the 1970s. Dr. Pearl belongs to an elite group of scientists that includes Albert Einstein, Niels Bohr, Werner Heisenberg, Marie Curie, Richard Feynman. I have to say that I consider it just just amazing to have gotten it. When I asked Dr. Pearl if anything changed for him after he won the Nobel Prize, he let me know that people are still not afraid to tell him when he's wrong, but it does change some things. If you have a good idea, it's very easy to get to speak about it. You just have to write somebody and say, I want to come talk about this. Or it's easy to apply for money. It may not be easy to get funding, but it's easy to apply for it. So that's the big difference. The future is opened up to you if you have another good idea. But there's more to it than just that. For a moment, Nobel Prize winners are international celebrities. Many people automatically elevate Nobel laureates to the status of genius. Nearly every other scientist in the world at some point dreams of reaching this goal. And it goes beyond personal accomplishment. The number of Nobel laureates at an institute, a university, or even in a country are used as proof of that group's scientific excellence or even scientific dominance. Why does the Nobel Prize have this incredible status? There's no easy answer. This is Dr. Robert Mark Friedman. He's a professor of history of science at the University of Oslo and an associate research scholar at Johns Hopkins University. 
As a historian, Friedman spent nearly 20 years studying the Nobel archives, and he published multiple academic papers about his findings. In 2001, he published a book called The Politics of Excellence, Behind the Nobel Prize in Science. The book examines why the Nobel Committee chose the winners it did, specifically during the first half of the 20th century. So, as Friedman was saying, the question of why the Nobel Prize is honored so highly by science and by the rest of the world is a complex one. It, it, it's, it's an interesting question and an important question. And actually, nobody has really conducted an extensive study of, of, of this issue. The common explanation for why the Nobel Prize is the top science prize in all the land is twofold. First, that the Nobel Prize has a long history, and second, that it has been consistent. That is, it has consistently been awarded to people whose work has proven to be very important to science. Unfortunately, looking back at history, it's clear that these two points don't actually hold up. First of all, the Nobel Prize was highly valued basically from the time it was created. The first Nobel was awarded in 1901, less than a decade before the Olympic Games had been revived into their modern-day form. Both of these events contributed to a budding spirit of international competition. The desire for civilized nations, civilized peoples, civilized races to compete for the advance of civilization, this was considered the great, the great pinnacle. These were seen as signs of a people's or a nation's, you might say, the social Darwinistic type of thinking, uh, how fit they are. The idea was that all nations would compete for the Nobel Prize on a level playing field. The committee would judge only the science. It would be free from political bias, totally objective. And each year, only the best science would be rewarded. The Royal Swedish Academy was put in charge of building the committee that would name the winners. It was actually believed at the time that these Northern European Anglo-Saxon committee members were ethnically predisposed to have clear, objective decision-making skills. Combine that with some serious prize money, the lack of any other awards quite like it, and the secrecy of the selection process, and you have a guaranteed hit. Right off the bat, Nobel Prize winners were treated like national heroes. Not only were they appointed to leadership positions in the sciences, they were asked to advise local leaders on issues that extended far outside their field of scientific expertise. And this continued. After World War II, Nobel Prize winners in the United States were asked to assist in creating new military strategies and solving social problems. The air of genius that floats around the winners of this award has been there from the beginning. In the 1920s, France began complaining that too few Nobel Prizes in physics had been awarded to French scientists. And they basically started trash-talking the Nobel Committee members, suggesting that they were from a backwater town. Or that uh, the uh, Swedish mind cannot appreciate the subtleties of French culture and, and, and science. 
But then, in 1926, Jean-Baptiste Perrin won the Nobel Prize in physics, and the French changed their tune. Suddenly, the French newspapers, you know, les atomes, you know, the, the, the glory of France. Uh, an international jury has declared French science to be the best. The thing is, none of the committee members wanted Perrin to win the prize. And this was not only based on scientific reasoning. There was some political bias in there as well. But other members of the Royal Swedish Academy rose up and went over the committee to give Perrin the award. And as soon as the award was announced, the committee members did the same 180 that the French did. All dissension disappears. Uh, the committee members themselves send telegrams, oh, you must come to my house for dinner when you're here. And it seems to be an inevitable choice. Uh, the best has been declared. So, you know, I, I think that little episode almost captures the whole, the whole, whole business. What Friedman means is that this example shows that many, many people have a vested interest in continuing to promote the image of the Nobel Prize. The prize can do a lot of good for small countries, universities, institutions, even under-recognized subfields of physics. The Nobel has become an international currency of scientific excellence. Nearly every institute in the world will include information on its website about Nobel prizes that it is associated with. If everyone props up this currency, it's worth more to everyone. But it seems as though we need to be aware of how much this currency has been inflated. Under close inspection, what do Nobel Prizes actually tell us? Should we evaluate the worth of scientists you know, and so many brilliant people out there working by such an imperfect measure? And equally important, should we allow this obsession with prizes that so many universities have be the way for defining excellence? Now, what does the number of Nobel Prize winners say about the overall research of the university, of the pedagogy, of the uh, institutional culture, the uh, ability for people to work together to inspire one another? Nobel Prizes are awarded for great discoveries or inventions. But there are many scientists who will spend a career doing incredible research and advising brilliant young students and generally being one of the best scientists in the world, and they might never be eligible for a Nobel Prize. Now let me make this clear. I am in no way suggesting that the winners of the Nobel Prize are not great scientists, I'm not suggesting they do not deserve the award, and I'm not arguing that individual accomplishments within science should not be recognized. But does shining such a powerful spotlight on the winners of this one prize leave other equally great scientists in the shadows? Because even if we don't consider the people who are not eligible for the prize— there simply aren't enough prizes to award all the people who are eligible. In his research, Friedman found a letter from a committee member to one laureate explaining the situation quite plainly. And this committee member said to 
Nobel laureate who was upset that his countrymen had not received the prize and then had died. And the committee member said, look, we try our best. There's just so many deserving candidates, so much significant work. Sometimes we just make mistakes. Sometimes it's just impossible to decide who is more deserving than the other one. So even if the Nobel Prize Committee has selected great physicists year after year, physicists whose work represents major trends in modern physics, could that alone really be responsible for the cultural status of the Nobel Prize? Could that alone really explain why it is the Nobel Prizes and then everything else? It turns out there are even more variables we can throw into the pot. The popularity of the Nobel Prizes can not only be attributed to the scientific community, the general public also plays a role in reinforcing its status. In a way, the prize is convenient to the public. We want heroes, even in science. We want to believe that greatness will rise to the top and be recognized. In a way, the Nobel Prize is about the triumph of good as much as it is about science. The Nobels have also been fed by the cult of the individual, which is a major part of Western culture. This is the desire to know that within the homogenous masses, uniqueness, even greatness, can arise. I mean, wouldn't it be terrible if we were all exactly the same? When we see people like the Nobel Prize winners, it reinforces the idea that we can be unique, we can be great. With these things driving us, we have the will to believe the myth that has been constructed around the Nobel Prize. But in, in general, you might say the will to believe, to want to believe in an impartial, objective uh, crowning of the alleged best in physics, chemistry, etc., is just that. It's the will to, to believe. Now, it's also just worth asking, why ask this question to begin with? Why deconstruct the Nobel Prize? It's a great thing. It draws international attention to important physics research. It can help institutions and universities and people collect money and continue to move forward with important research. And it's fun. It's a very exciting time, and it's a joyful tradition. Why not just leave it alone? Well, here's Friedman's answer. I don't think the myth does justice to science. I think the beauty of science, the importance of science, the amount of wonderful first-rate work going on in science deserves more recognition uh, than the shadow of, here we have the best. Some years back, the freshman class at Caltech, I was told, was asked, what is your goal for a career in science? And a huge percentage answered, to win a Nobel Prize. Now, some might say, oh, that's, that's wonderful. You know, they, they, they are full of spunk. They are competitive. They are going to go for it. I would like to believe that there should be other answers that. And I think other answers that could make science more attractive 
for young people to, to enter. So why is the Nobel Prize the Nobel Prize? That's a complicated question. Luckily, physicists are great at answering complicated questions. Congratulations to this year's winners. Again, we're excited to talk to you next week about the science that the prize was given for. But that's all for this week's Physics Buzz podcast. I'm Calla Cofield. As always, you can find more podcasts, our Physics Buzz blog, resources, and so much more at physicscentral.com. Tune in next week for more Physics Buzz.